Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. And I'm pumped today because I get to talk to one of my, I guess, like podcast uh, superstar mentors from afar, Dan Andrews, one of the hosts over at the Tropical NBA podcast, which I started listening to right when I got started in 2013. And I haven't uh, stopped downloading all the episodes. So it's a pleasure. And today we're going to talk about where the business is at today. We're going to look at you know, pivoting and growing your business while you're traveling and enjoying a, a great lifestyle business. So we're going to dig into all the details. And Dan, how's it going today? Going great, Doug. I should. I want to remind the audience that I am a Doug Show listener. And I, I don't know how I became one, but I think it was because I was tracking down Alpha in the uh, like niche website space. And okay. so... It's mutual. That's the point. Awesome. <laughs> and yeah, and we were just chatting before and I was like, I got to invite you back on because we haven't actually met in person, but it feels like, you know, chatting with an old friend, we pick up where we left off, even though we've yeah. only talked a handful of times, but the podcasting format makes it feel like I really know you like, like a friend. Yeah. Likewise. It's uh, I, I, something about uh, my friend earlier today was saying, oh, what do you got going on today? I got this interview uh, with Doug. He runs this show called The Doug Show. I really love it. <laughs> and he's like, why? And I was like, well, because um, it's no bullshit. And I like when I can hear something that's really close, close to the ground. And I was like, he's got this community where he's sharing these case studies. He's, he's showing you the path as legibly as possible. And I think in our industry, there's a lot of there's a lot of distance between the kind of media and the reality. And I think what the Doug Show does for me is like the media is very close to the reality. It's never going to be one to one, um, but I really like that about this community and this show. So that's that's why I was like excited to come on. I don't know if I'll be able to be the same way you are, but <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> Thank you. I, I will take that compliment. I hope that makes sense. Yes. Okay. Yes. And that. I mean, honestly, that's that's what I'm going for. And from, uh, you know, I don't come from a performance background or anything like that, but no bullshit and just uh, just the facts. That's the best way for me to, d to do it and deliver the <laughs> message. So I appreciate that, Dan. And well, let's hear your story now. I'll I'll, um, I'll open it up and just kind of let you give uh, you know mm -hmm. ninety second, couple minute intro. But I will remind people that we did an interview back. Uh, I think it was like lockdown COVID time frame, so people can hear a little bit more of your background there. But what do you do? Where'd you come from? What's the business kind of look like today? And then we'll unpack the business portion coming up. Yeah, for me, it was niche. SEO marketing combined with manufacturing was the nexus of insights that drove me to this idea of like a lifestyle business. And the concept that, well, if I ranked within the top five on Google for modern cat furniture, you know, I could sell enough units based on my manufacturing costs in California um, that, you know, I could live the dream in Bali or I could travel, um, I could get out of my job. And so we pursued that goal starting in 2006. We started sharing our journey in 2009 vis-a-vis -a, -vis a podcast similar to this. Um, and that has since turned into a business many, many years later that has a lot of products for founders, things like recruiting, events, private membership, stuff like that. 
So that's kind of like, uh, yeah, the timeline of the last 15 years. And people might think that you came up with the cat furniture thing as a you know weird example that isn't true, but you guys legitimately had a cat furniture business. Is that right? Yeah. Um, and it kind of came full circle. We, we had a cat furniture business called moderncatdesigns.com. And I don't know, it probably wasn't the best business for us to be running. We didn't you know, really understand the industry that well. It was B2C, which is challenging. Now I'm more of a B2B kind of guy, all things being equal. But recently I had a, a young affiliate marketer on my show who bought my arch nemesis. Like, you know, everybody has a nemesis. You go online and you type in um, modern cat furniture and it was like us and then this brand named Hepper. And I was like, I don't know who this Hepper guy is, but he's got to go down, you know? It turns out that this guy's name was Jed and he's super cool. And I ended up meeting him at conferences and we became friendly and he sold Hepper to an affiliate marketer who lives in Chiang Mai named Simon Trule. And he runs a, a website called, he, he runs a media brand called Pangolia, which he's the right owner for that because he's, um, I think your listeners would be really interested to hear about his story and to look at his brand because he's an SEO genius and you can learn a lot by deconstructing what he's done with Pangolia. So that's kind of a full, not just a, not just a funny example, but actually was in the cat furniture business. Very cool. Okay. And that's a lot of years and, um, you know, working <laughs> online just generally. And yeah. I think I would love sometime we'll, we'll table it maybe, but, um, you started your podcast in 2009. We could do yeah. a whole pod podcast talking about <laughs> podcast, but yeah. do you go deep into, like the industry side of podcasting and like go to conferences? Are you like looking at the craft or did you come at it from sort of a different angle? There was no craft. There was no industry. There was, there was no nothing for so long, you know? I, so I was already, uh, you know, over the hill by the time it became a thing to do. And so I've never gone to any of those conferences, although I, I would love to. I, I think the concept of maybe a 30-person conference where you had to have a certain sort of engagement or a certain level of community or revenue um, where everybody would swap notes. There's some people kind of, I saw Jay Klaus is doing something with his Creators Academy. Stuff like that could appeal to me. I, I would be really interested in that. But no, I've never really, uh, I've just sort of been an observer um, watching on the sidelines um, and a fan mostly. I'm a big listener of podcasts. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. Podcast movement was just last week here in Denver. I didn't go to it. I was out of town, but it's open for everyone. And there's a lot of kind of big corporate sponsors in there. So someone I know said that it felt like a lot of the speakers were just advertisers in some capacity. And your point of having like a minimum threshold, it keeps out the beginners so that you as a podcasting veteran of 14 years, like you, you don't need a lot of the beginner stuff. Like you don't need to know about equipment or some other things like that. You could just learn from your peers and contemporaries and that sort of thing. So, okay. There are, there are some things that I think maybe me and you and a lot of the listeners understood intuitively that I've only recently heard people say more forthright, which is, you know, a podcast listener is, is worth so, so much. Um, in terms of value, in terms of the time they're giving you. Um, and 
in terms of engagement, like if you go on a podcast and you say, yo, I'm Doug, I'm going to be in Boulder in two months. And I invite you, if you listen to this show to come to Boulder and here's what we'll do. That's going to perform enormously well. And that's something that I think we've seen. It's been intuitive. Like if you make it onto the four to six podcasts that people cycle through on their phone, the average podcast listener, that's an enormous privilege and it's an incredibly powerful relationship. And I, I can say that because I'm primarily a listener. Like I've, I will do what the Doug show says or what these other shows that I love. I, I can't wait for the episodes to come out and I understand that. And it's, it's uh, it's pretty cool to be a part of that as part of our business. Agree a hundred percent. So let's shift into what, your business looks like today. So there's a couple different pieces. So can you break that down for us? Sure. Um, I don't know if I should start with the Jim Collins uh, flywheel or the different elements are our marketing department is a sad and lonely place. It is me, <laughs> like a $90 microphone and the occasional tweet. Uh, I also send out a newsletter. So that's our marketing. <laughs> um, we have a private community, which you have to qualify and apply for. Um, and that is marketed by a little bit of the podcast and a little bit of word of mouth. Um, and that has 1200 members. Now we have now a new community, which is, uh, in partnership with that, which is reserved for seven figure companies and beyond. Um, we now have 60 members and that's like, uh, in, I guess, beta, we just opened it. So we're kind of experimenting and seeing what works for those initial 60. We have a recruiting firm that services a lot of the people in the membership and other companies as well. Um, and then we also have a job board, which helps people find remote jobs. And the final piece is we do a bunch of events and in order to go to the event, you have to be a member. So I, I don't know how to position that, whether that's its own product or whatever, but we have about 40 meetups every month amongst our memberships. That could be anything from three people in Denver having a sandwich to you know a lot of people going on a boat somewhere in Asia to uh, member-led events all around the world. We do about 10 of those a year, larger events. And then we do a handful of events that have you know over 60 members up to 400 members in Bangkok here in a few weeks. Okay. So s several pieces here, of course. Can you qu quickly name each of the pieces? So the, the membership, the elite membership, the recruiting job board, mm -hmm. just so people uh, can go check these out and understand what they are. Got it. So it's Tropical MBA as a podcast, Dynamite Circle as a community, DC, or aka the DC, DC Black, like the... Uh, American Express Black Card is the higher level community. Uh, RemoteFirstRecruiting.com is our recruiting firm. And DynamiteJobs.com is the job board. Okay. And for the events, you have to be a member to go to any of the events. So, and that's kind of, it's connected-ish, but that's a significant part of the business. It's a significant part of the business strategically, which we're now kind of recognizing more. And also from a revenue perspective, because we charge for the events. Got it. So 
externally, I mean, I, I know of you guys and I know these pieces of the business, but externally, if someone came in and you said, ah, we're doing all these things, it seems like there's a lack of focus and there's a lot of disconnected stuff. Any response to that where you're like, if I was like, hey, why aren't you focusing on, you know, the biggest moneymaker or the thing that you're most passionate about that align with your values or however you want to assess it? Uh, it's funny, right before you said that, I was like, I'm starting to feel like I'm walking right into a business coaching session. This is amazing because this <laughs> shit costs a lot of money. Um, I think you're right. And that's something that the team we've been discussing, we have all these logos everywhere, you know? Um, so I do think that, yes, we have a lack of focus for sure. And uh, I mean, if it's working for you, great. That's awesome. Which I mean, I think it is, but I, I do wonder, like, when I was researching for this, I was like, okay, I want to make sure I understand all the pieces before I even ask the question, right? And I was <laughs> thinking, hey, there, those are, there's a lot of logos, and it's like, yeah, not, it is all connected, right? I understand the thread where you're like, there are a lot of people that are interested in these businesses in the membership. So it's like you're serving the community, which makes complete sense, and I see how it works personally. But, but yeah, it's like, ah, it's pretty scattered. Now, that said, uh, many companies have a lot of pieces and they run fine. They're very profitable, but they have a team. They have someone who is, you know, they, they own a certain piece. So what does your yeah. team look like? So there's 12 of us that are full-time. And to your point about focus, I did reorg the company over the new year. And primarily, this was actually a big challenge. So here was the, I think it's something you flagged up on our previous interview. Our job board, for example, Dynamite Jobs. If me and you were to become business partners and just run that, I don't think that going after the target market of our podcast and our community would be the best customer to pursue necessarily in order to grow that business to scale. Me and you would sit in a strategy session to say, you know what, mid-market is probably where job boards have the most success. And so we're going to continue to drive that way. And so that's what we were doing. We had people driving towards mid-market at a job board. The recruiting people were doing recruiting stuff, community people doing community stuff. And at a certain point, I thought, we can't operate like this because lack of focus is one thing, but how that manifested on the ground was lack of an ability to compete with the personnel and the investment level. So I was thinking to myself, like kind of a rather simple realization, which is I was like putting people in place to do jobs, like and typically not experts or professionals that I wasn't quite sure how to do myself, but to see what would happen is more like a little bit of a wager. Um, and I think that that was a, a bit of a pitfall I fell into. And I think the people that you hire and pay their salary, they'll kind of do what you suggest. So you have to be careful and check it by in situations like this. So the reorg was essentially, I know for these brands that it seems in theory like it would be better to get a different customer set. Um, but we are going to forgo that altogether and instead 100% focus on our core customer. We're going to define them. We're going to clarify who they are and no one's going to lift a finger in this company unless it's for that target market. 
And if it turns out that, say, for example, our recruiting product, which actually is a really nice fit with our target customer, if they don't want that, fine, we'll do something else. That's the it's it's a customer focus instead of a a product focus. And so although there are a lot of logos, um, the the company focus is now 100% on the user or the target ICP, as they say in the business jargon, ideal client profile versus doing what that brand or ideal company would do in a vacuum. And so sorry to, to cut off the point. And I think what you're maybe you're driving at, which is like the hardest thing in any business at like less than $5 million is finding a repeatable source of customers. That's the number one challenge. And we had cracked that nut. And so it was really hard for me to like attend meetings where people were trying to like recrack the nut. And I'm like, no, man, this is like so hard in the first place. We're not going to like bet on having like you do it a second time. We're going to stick with the first group of customers and we're going to build product for them. Okay, man. Well, does that make sense? It does. And it's, it's, um, it's a different way to look at it than, you know, when most people walk up, they're like product focus versus the customer focus where you know who you want to serve and you're adaptable to pivot a little bit, which is a topic we'll come up to in a second, but pivot as needed to serve that customer better. If you, if you miss the product just a little bit, but you know, those are the people you want to work with. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. I mean, maybe if, if you're building an affiliate site, it's like the difference between writing what you want versus writing for the algorithm, something like that. Like just understanding how expensive a channel is, how expensive a repeatable source and can you compete? Can you earn customers hmm. and, and really drilling down into how much it costs you to earn a customer. Um, and then realizing like that repeating that with a division, we even called them divisions. Um, just was like a, a a financial disaster, you know. And so, um, we leaked a lot of cash, basically trying to develop new sources of customers. And so, basically, reorged the whole thing. It it, it was ended up being a lot of staff changes, actually. Um, gotcha. That was a big a big part of it. Just you know, business coaching, um, which was very valuable to me. Um, lots of mural boards, like mapping out the systems in the company, rating them based on health, putting actual numbers and goals next to everything. Um, and it became pretty clear that, uh, yeah, around sort of October, November timeframe last year that we were going to reorg the company to be customer focused versus product focused. Okay. So you said about 12 people and is there some more complicated org chart? Is it pretty flat? <laughs> couple of managers in there. How does it work? It's pretty flat. I mean, everybody has a clear area of responsibility. Um, we have functional areas in the company, like the community team, the recruiting team, the events team. And we have a you know meeting every week for each functional area. We have an executive, sort of a leadership team as well. And uh, yeah, it's pretty simple though. It's, it's just 12 of us. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't get... It doesn't get uh, to be too many communication channels. Do you have any um, freelancers or contractors that work on the team as well? All that, yeah. The the sort of freelance mafia sort okay. of orbits each. Yeah. <laughs> How many people is that? 
I mean, we have seasonal staff. So for example, at, at our event in Bangkok in a few weeks, there'll be 25 people on the ground that are part of the team. We also have a, because if you run a community to a degree, your customers are part of your team. And so, um, getting a strong sense about that. And then I would say like regular people who freelance with us, probably about six or seven. Okay. Got it. For, I was chatting, I was chatting with, uh, a couple of my friends, three people that developed a WordPress theme. And my background is project management. So I was asking, how do you guys assign the roles and responsibilities so that there's no duplicate work or things that are missed? And they said, oh, we, we haven't done any of that. And uh, it's getting a little frustrating. But yeah, so they were just kind of flying blind. Some people were, you know, they'd get a support ticket in two, three people would answer the question. So there's a lot of, a lot of waste. It sounds like you guys have it ironed out pretty well in your organization, roles and responsibilities, very clear so that nothing's dropped, right? More or less. Yeah. We do drop things, but I think the systems are decent. Sometimes okay. the performances, you, you know, I'm, I'm like kind of a fan of minimalist management, which is to say that if you're expecting a system to save someone who can't work hard or, you know, then probably not the, I would like over index on people who are competent at the role that they're in. Agree. And micromanaging is no, no fun. I'd rather like set someone free. And then if they, if they fuck it up or something, then you have to, <laughs> you have to do something about it. And then, you know, maybe, you know, fix it up or uh, replace the person. But totally. yeah. So let, let's talk about pivoting here because in uh, the pandemic timeframe, we didn't know what was going to happen. And like I said, I think we talked in April of 2020. So we were uh, isolated. We didn't know what was going to happen. A good chunk of your business was uh, events and that sort yeah. of went away. So uh, let's rewind. Like what, if you can remember what you guys were thinking, especially about like pivoting, bringing in revenue, you have a team people that are relying on you, your, your friends and, you know, work family. So what was it like back then? Um, it was, it was like one of those back against the wall moments that felt like that, uh, because events are such a critical part to why our members join. You know, a lot of us are traveling a lot. We want people to meet around, like all that shuts down and it feels like a big part of our identity is just gone. Um, also we had the, the biggest quit, like, what do you call it? Like, uh, I don't know what the churn term is, but like 30 people, 30 members quit like within a one week time frame. you know, there was a sort of a few weeks there where when the pandemic hit, everybody just went around and canceled all their subscriptions because you just don't know if your job's going to come back or, or whatever. A lot of, and a lot of our customers are run agencies and and businesses that just everything just slammed on the brakes. So we immediately started thinking, oh, we have to do something, you know, and we started looking towards the remote jobs. So we already had a, a, a job board running for years at that point. And it was just kind of humming along in the background. And I think Ian and I zeroed in on that and we were like, that's going to be our thing. We're going to take this job board to the moon. It's remote season. Um, we're in a lucky situation. And yeah, I, I think it was like a weird mix of, uh, it was terrifying, 
on the one hand, but on the other hand, I was kind of like, this is kind of badass. I'm like excited for the challenge. And I think the team was too. Okay. You're one of those people. You were like, all right, this is an opportunity friends, right? (laughs) (laughs) All right. It's like I'm comfortable in chaos. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. My, uh, well, not funny. My, my brother-in-law just got laid off. He, uh, had a job for like 26 years and he was like, luckily he was like, this is an opportunity. Maybe I can have like a second career or do something different. Um, I, the alternative is panic and freak out. So I, I guess that's pretty good. <laughs> you may as well move forward, right? So, okay, very good. And back in 2020, you you did have the job board. Was it still in internal inside the DC at that point? In, and then you brought it out? No, it, the, the dynamitejobs.com probably was public for since two, late 2017. Our total revenue in 2019 was like 5,000 bucks. So I made 5,000 bucks on my job board in 2019. That was my big opportunity in 2020. (laughs) (laughs) And then, well, can you talk about the growth a little bit and people can check out the archives at TMBA to to hear about the growth? But yeah, so 2019, it was 5K talk about the growth after that what happened in 2020 uh, it's gonna be I, i'm gonna have to pull numbers out of my ass i can't pull them up quickly okay. but it, it looks something like you know maybe 200 and then 500 and then close to a million the next year so we we just put our put our effort behind that and just kind of pulled it out of out of nowhere i guess just decided that and, and I don't think it was a particular, I think one of the things that our previous episodes are, I don't know if we were talking on my show or yours, but it wasn't, I don't know, the in retrospect, not the best business opportunity, but it was just like a, kind of an example for me. If you're willing to just, I don't know, work hard and like follow the money and solve problems that you can, you can pay the rent basically. It's a perfect example of a, a reasonably good idea with good execution and a good team. And yeah, you guys hit a million bucks. There was growth. Like every everything's good, right? Versus the best idea with horrible execution or, you know, people not following through. So yeah. Cool. Now you developed and sort of pivoted into the recruiting aspect too. So can you talk about uh, maybe a precipitating event or conversation where you were like, this rec- like we should do the recruiting piece, which is kind of a white glove recruiting service for the target uh, customer overall, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's just if you just kind of bang your head against the desk for eight hours a day, you know, we realized that our customers not only hated our job board, but they hated every job board. You know what I mean? It's like so we kept trying to make like our job board the good job board, and sometimes it just turns out that like job boards suck. I remember um, we have like this incredibly talented CTO and, you know, we were building all these features and we had like hundreds of thousands of candidates and we started calling it a platform and just all this, you know what I mean? I just startup level uh, delusion and we were in this coaching call and and the coach kind of looks at us and he's like, wait a second, so you're on a job board, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and like we kind of looked around the office because I think we were doing one of those things where we were like explaining to him what we do. And he's like, 
job board. I, I think I got it, guys. <laughs> and one of the uh, things that made me think of is is sometimes the best ideas are just duh, and sometimes you're just too clever. And I think what we were really doing was trying to make a jobs platform that didn't have the problem that all the other jobs platforms since the, the foundation of time had. And it turns out that there might be really good reasons why they have those problems. They might be, you know, interminable and we don't know why. And that's just life and business sometimes. But what we did discover was when we would talk to people using our job board that we could really help them use it better because we were the experts at running this job board. And it turns out that if you just get the right person on that call, you say, hey, Doug, like, I know you're going to post right now. Let me help you tweak some things. It's like, you know what? Do you mind if I just do it for you? Um, because I actually interview people better than you and I can like find the red flags because I interview hundreds of people. And that just kind of one step after another, when we put a professional who really understood recruiting, it turns out founders were really willing to part with thousands of dollars to not have to go through the headache of um, posting on job boards like ours and others. It turned out to be such a kind of like a mental leap on the team to get away from this concept of platform that we actually just created a new brand. We called it Remote First Recruiting um, because I really wanted to create this distinction of, hey, like that's a job board. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like what we discovered is that the repeatable source of clients that come our way, that respect our brands, they don't want to use, they don't love job boards. They'll use them, but they don't love them. They love having an expert help them hire. And so that's really why we just, you know, that was that, that key insight was like, oh, all these pro we were trying to solve the problems essentially in a way that was too expensive for our expertise to solve. You know, maybe like a, a team like Indeed could solve those problems or you need a certain kind of scale or a certain amount of money. We really tried hard, but it was just a lot easier just to do the consultative path. Got it. And I don't have a question. I want to yet. shout out to oh. you, by the way. Oh. Doug spotted this like a year and a half in advance. So shout out oh, to thank, Doug. Shout out to thank Doug. you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I was going to say, I... So not a question here, but I'll be interested on any remarks before we shift gears. There's so much I want to cover with you, Dan, but the sexy part of the, you know, just the job board, the sexy part of Dynamite Jobs was it was software and scalable in a way that's different than a services business. And then when you shift over to services, the recruiting it's, it's time for money, right? So it's back to that equation. Essentially, you know, not your time probably, but the team's time and you can't scale it in the same way. So any thoughts around that? I mean, it, it sounds like you guys, you realized the the difficult problem that you were facing with Dynamite Jobs in the, the software aspect, the platform aspect. Yeah, it's like the the platform and the product delivery is scalable, but the customer acquisition process was not. Yeah. And typically there's in, in most business markets that are like somewhat established, the dynamic is going to be opposite and relative to each other. So the easier it is to acquire a customer, you know, um, the less scalable the delivery will be. So like, you know, 
if pressed, we could probably sell each other on something by the time we get off this call. You know what I mean? Like, Hey Doug, like how about 250 bucks an hour, three sessions? Like I'll help get your podcast at the next level. I'll help whatever, like I'll find something, you know what I mean? Like, but that's going to take me a long time to deliver that product. And I can't find a bunch of, you know, I can't do it a lot. I can't scale it, but the customer acquisition process, I just got to go to an event. I got to schedule a podcast. It's, it's relatively straightforward. So that's essentially a dynamic that I've seen multiple times in my career. Um, and in other words, like the sexier sounding a business idea is typically the harder it is to execute. That's a tweetable. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about working remotely versus working in person. So part of the, I guess, like core value of, of TMBA and all the, the business pieces is yeah. around like location independence and being able to work remotely and, you know, kind of focusing on lifestyle. And I agree. I love working remotely. It's, it's great for my personality type and I have no issue with, uh, being down here in the basement, working alone for a little <laughs> while, no, no issue at all. Um, but uh, recently, and, and I know for the last few years, um, you and Ian and the team will come together. I don't know how much of the team, but you work in Barcelona, and there's certainly some value working, you know, face to face, sitting next to each other, you know, going on a, a walk, taking a break, going on a bike ride, whatever. So, talk about the pros and cons of you know remote working and why it's valuable to actually come together every now and then. Yeah, I mean. I, I like that there's a recent meme going around, which is like, you only know two things about a competitor. One is there's four co-founders sitting in a room together, and one is that they're on Zoom together. Who, who are you more scared of? Um, I guess it depends on your industry, but certainly in tech, I'd be worried about the one room. Um, strangely enough, it could be the opposite if you're talking about a more traditional business. So if it were like a plumbing service, I might be more concerned about the remote enabled team. So maybe there's a story about competition and game selection there. Um, but for me, you know, we just onboarded a new events assistant community manager and events coordinator. And we took the time to spend two days co-working here in Barcelona. Absolutely invaluable for onboarding. It's invaluable for co-founders, executive relationships, people that you see that really have their hands on the steering wheel of your business, you got to get together with them in person. You got to make that investment. Um, I think otherwise you just, you, you risk losing too much traction and time. On the other hand, complete diminishing value to relocating your families, your whole life, just to sit in an office with somebody and essentially get bored of the conversation and need to go back down to the basement to do some work, um, you know, after call it a week or two weeks. So I, I think that there's a, there's an organic rhythm to creative work, to building companies that, you know, maybe isn't best exemplified by the traditional circumstance of co-location in an office or being virtual. I, I like these new ways forward where companies are finding a heartbeat, a tempo around team retreats, around executive retreats, around personal retreats, about finding ways to step a little bit outside of the grind 
um, to work on the business. So we've been exploring that kind of stuff. And Ian and I did that reorg was possible because we sat in an office, you know, with interlocutors like yourself, essentially, you know, I get off the phone with you and then Justin Tan comes in the office and echoes some of the concerns that you had. And then we take these concerns and explore it, workshop it. And okay, it's only 12 team members and a handful of freelancers, but there's a lot of like historical narrative and momentum. And it takes a while to to turn. And even in our case, it meant we had to turn over staff because the things that we needed to do changed. Let's talk about meetings a little bit. So I came from a corporate background. There were so many fucking meetings. I can't, I can't even tell you. Um, the amount oh, of like yeah. double booked in at the time, some of them more in person because we were in an office together. So you may as well meet. Um, but, but generally there was a lot of time wasted. A lot of them were unnecessary and slowly over time, just before I got laid off, I was like canceling all these meetings. I'm like, let's, let's trim everything down and just do the essential ones. And you're, I think you're a fan of meetings now, which it seems, um, it seems surprising. So to talk about where you incredible, are with meetings. Incredible yeah. turnaround. Yeah. Well, so I, like you, have some level of PTSD about meetings. And I think so many of us do. We jump into online because we were doing that. Now we want to do this. And so we completely want to distance ourselves, maybe throw the baby out with the bathwater a little bit. A lot of meetings in larger orgs are about politics. They're about control. They're about things that aren't about necessarily moving the ball forward and living your best life. Here's the punchline though. And something I've been exploring is so many entrepreneurs avoid meetings for that reason, or they avoid getting great at them. They avoid building out a process. Meetings are probably at least in the top three, basically the most important process in any remote business. And so you, it doesn't mean you need to have a lot of them, but how that's how you lead. That's how you lead in a remote team is through meetings. And so make them great. That's the punchline. I think if you can really find a way to have effective meetings in a remote team, you save yourself and everybody else so much time. And that's why meetings are so powerful. I've really been thinking about them a lot lately because I see in our community, you know, I see how much we suck at meetings, but then I also see the potential of them and the application of them in great companies. So there's also that, which is looking at companies which are highly effective, productive, and great, and how excellent it is to bring great minds together and to solve big problems. It doesn't happen on Slack. <laughs> it just doesn't happen on Slack. So right. yeah, I've been really embracing this concept of meetings um, certainly minimum effective dose. You know, we do this thing in our company a lot where we have a meeting about meetings and then we like delete a bunch of them. We change them up and fire forward. So I think every quarter you want to reevaluate your meeting tempo and everybody who's in them and you want to have strong leadership when you're there. How many meetings per week are you in? Would you say? Company meetings. I'm just going to pull up my calendar here. It's going to be eight. But here's the punchline. Like four of those are 15 minute meetings. And then there's four ones that are an hour. Okay. So I'm on the phone for five hours a week. 
on meetings. All right. So <clears throat> can you highlight, can you highlight like the most important couple meetings? Is there, is there one or two where you get the most leverage? Um, right now, executive standup, DC functional team call, that's huge leverage. And then the weekly team call is still really important to our company where we do all hands every week. Um, and that's an opportunity just to refocus, recircle. And this week, we started doing a 15-minute all-hands kickoff where key weekly priorities go over. This is a bit of an adjustment. And then the rest of the four days, I'm doing just doing an executive stand-up. So, all right. And am I triggering you? Yet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, actually, yeah. I. Funny <laughs> enough, when you said the you know weekly all-hands. I thought back to like my first internship and I was like, Oh, I remember they brought donuts to entice us to come in there and yeah. it worked, you know, but the, <laughs> yeah, some of those were not so effective. Now love this standup meeting. My very first lead magnet when I started my blog was a one pager, how to run a standup meeting. So I love you have the exact standup meeting. How do you run it and who's in there? So, it's changed a lot this week. We've completely switched. Everybody's done their own. We, we deleted the old standups. We used to have, there was four of us. Now it's just Ian and I just because it's, it's depends on the projects for that quarter. And so we don't have a, it's just 15 minutes. Hey, what are you, what are you up to today? Big problems. And then we're out of there. Okay. And then do you have, so Ian's my business partner for those okay. listening. Yeah. So, it's like, hey, what are you working on? Do you have issues? And then what's holding you up, right? That's the other thing. Yep. And then the blockers. Yeah. You tackle that. So I take it hopefully most of the time there's no like major issues and you're like, ah, someone else is, you know, talking through this issue or they they own it or something like that. And then you guys typically don't have too many action items out it out of it, or do you have one or two? How, how does that work? I mean, the thing is, is like it, sometimes we just hang out and want to talk to each other. So there's that too. Like, you know, I think there's something about a remote team where creating an opportunity for people to build relationships and to co-work. Um, so in other words, like we don't really mind if we're not super disciplined. We don't need to be because we're not spending all day long in meetings. This is like our one chance of the day or of the week to talk to each other. And so sometimes it's a lot of like jumping back on with someone after. It's like, oh shit, I didn't know we were going to do that project. Let's like sit. Sometimes I like to sit on the phone with someone for 30 minutes and write something with them or co-work with them. Everybody has like a little bit of a work buddy for like the few months projects they're working on, stuff like that. So we're not too militaristic about it. We're much more disciplined in the all hands. Like we want to get out of there in less than an hour and a half max, trying to get out of there in an hour. So we're really trying to move through all the key issues in the business and all the key updates so that over the weekend we have time to marinate. We do the kickoff call on Monday. And so those are our clear bookends of like, this is what's getting done this week. Um, all hands kind of review at the end of the week. Perfect. Love it. So meetings aren't all bad. You can make them work for you. <laughs> And I, I have one-on-ones with the couple people that I work with and it's great, you know, to just build a rapport, have a relationship. And like, I understand now that I'm a little older and wiser 
that uh yeah you could shoot the shit for like 15 minutes and like it's pretty valuable to have like the personal relationship i would say it's a really interesting thing to explore if you don't like your meetings like if you're if you're I mean, I, I've definitely felt this even when I'm like post accepted meetings, like I don't want to go to this meeting. That's a really great emotion to tap into. There's probably a lot of good stuff under that. Like you might not want to have that team member anymore. You might not need the meeting. You might want to change your role in the company. Um, I would really, really sit with that. I love going to our all hands meeting. It's even crazy to say that out loud. I really look forward to seeing the whole team on Friday and it feels like we're all together and we you know, bring together the key stories and moments in the week. Um, and, and, you know, Ian, like, for example, a lot of people take three day weekends in our company. And when Ian and I are out, we always call each other. And it's like, how did the team call go? You know, and, and we really want to know. And so I think finding a way to make meetings vital is a, is a really great strategy. If you're starting to grow a small team is to really ask yourself, you know, uh, what are my agendas? What is the energy of this meeting? What is the purpose of it? You know, how do I think about it the rest of the week? You know, how do I populate the meeting with issues or content? Those sorts of questions I think are really valuable because they're tremendous leverage. So let's start wrapping up here. I know we're we're running short on time. Your audience is like, what are these guys talking about? Is a question. <laughs> It's so deep. <laughs> they're just listening over our shoulder. Yeah. As, as we're catching up. So over the last few years, I've been really part of the fire community. That's uh, financial independence, retire early. And I'm in Longmont, Colorado, where there's a bunch of uh, lazy people that, that don't work. They've re been retired for years. <clears throat> so it's kind of rubbed off on me a little bit. And as I have, you know, worked on my business and grown it and then realized like, hey, maybe I have enough and maybe I don't have the same hunger that I did when I was in my 30s. I've been working less. I've, my, my work week is about three days a week, most weeks, and I'm probably working, you know, 10 to 15 hours or so. And it's just about perfect for my lifestyle and the other, the other hobbies that I have, the other things that I want to do and like spend my time. And I take big chunks of time off as well. So over the summer, you know, there, there have been weeks where I, I've worked ahead and I'm like four to six weeks, just kind of checking email and making sure like servers haven't, uh, you know, crashed and websites are up and that yeah. sort of thing. And it's been great. Like I, I feel less stress. I'm sleeping a little bit more. Everything's great. So like I'm in a good equilibrium at this point. And I... I actually felt like a little disconnected from Dynamite Circle in the DC because I went to uh, an event. Um, it's been a little while now, but everyone was talking about growth and and working more and great systems they figured out. And they come around to me and say, "Hey, Doug, what are you into?" And I say, "I'm into working less." And it's just uh, <laughs> it, it doesn't it doesn't go along with the overall theme. And I'm like. I don't care about growth. Like I'm just trying to coast, which I'm like quiet quitting on my myself, which sounds yeah. sounds ridiculous, <laughs> but that's exactly what's happening. So anyway, we had a little exchange, Dan, and part of that makes you a little bit nervous to step away. So I want to unpack it. Like, you know, number one, what are your thoughts about my lazier approach? And really I'm focusing on lifestyle that I'm, 
my value is on lifestyle and time. So any thoughts to me as a friend? I, I think you're going to find a strong niche of DCers and of founders in general that that is the end goal. And I'm incredibly supportive of, I think it's amazing. In fact, one tip for doing it, because I have done that lifestyle for some time, you could set, and it sounds like you do this to some degree, like uh, you can set meetings with yourself for those critical elements of the business, whether it's, you know, Monday morning for one and a half hours, all critical systems, you know? And then it's like, just that's where, where, what I love about meetings. This is a perfect way to say it is like, if you have that meeting where you just touch everything critical, what is critical? I've touched it. I've logged into everything, man, the, the next four and a half days feel different to me. I love that. I don't have strong opinions. I do think there's a strong cultural difference between people trying to go out there and get it and people trying to coast like that. That's not a good party vibe. I understand what you mean by that because, <laughs> like, because if people are really like kind of splaying themselves and pushing and they're in this kind of um, sort of like, I want to grow my business era, you know, they're pretty insufferable if you're just trying to have some balance in your life. <laughs> I don't have any advice for you, honestly. I, I think it's really interesting, the idea of, I mean, it, it brings in the importance of investing and having a strong, because for me, the thing that concerns me the most is like decaying cash flows and things like that. And just making sure that you're mentally prepared um, for that, because at least with active businesses, I think the concept of like passive income generating web assets are largely false. I just uh, typically it's if you're not actively reinvesting with a high level kind of executive or ownership mindset into those things, they will decay quite fastly, like the majority of them. And so that's where that anxiety comes in. So if you're going to peel cash, make sure you're putting it into, you know, assets that you feel really confident about, like your home and stuff like that. And if you got all that going on, I think it's absolutely fantastic. Thanks. I I think um yeah, it it's um it's interesting like you said it's, it's a different vibe and I do love hearing about people that are excited about about the business <laughs> but I just I felt uh, you know it's it's some form of like imposter syndrome where I'm like am I in the wrong room like I I seem <laughs> I seem under underwhelming here extremely underwhelming. So <laughs> but but yeah, I, I know I do have the the uh, the drive inside, and I think it may be one of those things where like a sabbatical, some time off, doing some other things, I'll get hungry again. And the thing is, I'll, I'll not, I won't stop working. Right? I like the things that I'm working on. It's just I'm I'm peeling back to see like oh, what happens if I'm testing. I guess I'm testing, and I know that some decay will happen, which we were chatting about like right before we started recording. I know revenue will go down. Some other things will go down, but I'm I'm checking to see how that feels when it happens and then the actual results afterward. Because we could project, but we really don't know the real impact. So, very cool. I think it's it's uh, it's incredibly interesting, you know? And I, I applaud you for finding this middle way, you know, where there's the growth, 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 you know. Uh, I, I think the shame with, with our, like this, a lot of business culture is it's just so one dimensional, you know? And unfortunately I think 
you know, maybe a, a lot of people, they judge themselves, they see themselves that way. Like they're as valuable as their number go up number. And that's not why I got into this game, right? It's like, you know, and that's not why like, you know, I hang around with Ian, for example, is because he's a good guy. He's got like a lot of dimensions to him. And it's not about going out and, you know, uh, finding people who just want to sit at a desk 10 hours a day and convince everybody to give them money and just grow, grow, grow in order to really solve some problem that probably happened 25 years ago that has nothing to do with the current business anyway. So Indeed. I applaud that. I think it's that's the kind of core of the lifestyle business ethos, which is define what you want your life to look like and make sure that your business serves you and hopefully your clients too. Dan, this has been fantastic. I have a blast chatting with you and listening to your podcast uh, every week. So thanks. And where should people find you? Likewise, Doug. Thanks for having me on. It's an honor. Um, TropicalMBA.com. Check out the pod. It's weird. It's quirky. Uh, (laughs) It's getting weirder. (laughs) Maybe I'll go into full Daggaff Doug mode and just show up. (laughs) <laughs> one hour a week. Uh, yeah. Um, no, that's, uh, that's for something for me, I guess like my dream, like I guess my version of, of what you're achieving right now <clears throat> would ultimately be to spend more time doing writing and podcasting. <clears throat> we've, we've taken on so much from an operational perspective that that's been the focus and it's been kind of a cool learning experience, but I'm hoping that my work will pay off and that ultimately I'll be able to spend more time writing. Very good. Well, we will link up and I'll link up to the other episode that we did together and we'll talk to you soon, Dan. Thanks, Doug.